What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good day, everybody. Bridie here. This week on Turn Me On, Jeremy and I are talking to Jill Doctoroff, who's the executive director of the National Abortion Federation of Canada. The bulk of Jill's career has been the nonprofit sector, focusing on sexual and reproductive health and rights. Before joining NAF Canada, Jill was the Canadian director at the National Abortion Federation. She briefly worked in the public sector as a public health program manager with Vancouver Coastal Health Authority. And prior to that, Jill was the executive director of the Elizabeth Bagshaw Clinic, a community-based facility that provides abortion care. Jill has also worked as the executive director at the Asian Society of the Intervention of AIDS, an organization working with Asian Canadians living with or at risk of contracting HIV, AIDS, and Plant Parenthood Ottawa, which focus on education, outreach, and options support. Now, we just had a few, a shorter than and than optimal time to speak with Jill, where we covered kind of a lot of ground. And, you know, it's timely stuff. We're trying to sort out the actual facts from fiction, the Canadian situation compared to the U.S. Um, situation. And I know that in a way this is just scratching the surface, but I hope you learned something here today and Jeremy and I will see you on the other side.
Um, all right, well let's let's get right to it. Um, this is this is going to be this is going to be interesting. Um, uh, we're speaking with Jill Doctoroff, uh, who is the executive director of the National Abortion Federation of Canada, um, and uh, I think this, we're going to have a pretty timely uh, conversation mm-hmm. about abortion because it seems to be a hot topic in the news right now, especially uh, down south of of Canada, down in the United States. Um, I'm going to be really honest. Right up front, um, I've, I've, I've been, I've been, I, I hate saying this. I hate that I, that I'm, that I'm admitting this right now, but for my own mental health, I, I've found that, um, as of late, you know, especially in the last like six months, the news has been really fucking with me. And, uh, and for my own like mental health, I've been, I've been trying to really steer clear of pretty much everything that isn't. Um, uh, memes of children saying funny things and like cute penguins. Um, like that's, that's, that's literally everything I'm ingesting right now. And I know I'm aware that there's a lot of bullshit happening in the United States right now surrounding abortion, but, but that's as much as I know. I, I really don't know much at all. And, um, and so what a better time that what, what better time than to, get schooled right now by Jill uh, all about the current affairs in in terms of abortion in the United States and and what that means for us here in, in Canada or, or potentially what that could mean for us in Canada. Um, Jill, before I, I yammer on any further, please take a moment to to introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, and and just let us know how you how did you find yourself doing doing the work that you do as executive executive director um, at the National Abortion Federation of Canada? Great. So as you said, my name is Jill and I use she and her for my pronouns. Um, I've been with NAF Canada for about the last four years, but I've pretty much spent my entire um, working life and actually a lot of my volunteer life uh, in sexual reproductive health, mostly in the not-for-profit sector. Um, And I've been specifically working in abortion care for um, about 14 years now. Uh, So I was the executive director of a a freestanding nonprofit abortion clinic in British Columbia for about eight or nine years before joining NAF Canada. So that's sort of how I found myself specifically around abortion care. But as I mentioned, sort of always working with sexual reproductive health. Mm. Is NAF the sort of the, the big, the head honchos of, of abortion care in Canada, or is it one of many? Uh, well, great question. So we have a sister organization called NAF in the United States, which is the membership based organization that works with the pro- people who provide abortion care uh, and facilities. And so <clears throat> through our connection with them, we probably are the group in Canada that's most connected with the people actually providing care. There are two other organizations that um, do abortion care related stuff. So ARC does uh, the Abortion Rights Coalition Canada. There's a lot of great advocacy work um, and research and papers. And then uh, the Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights has a more broad, broader portfolio and part of it does include abortion care. Okay. Can you, can you give us like, um, uh, and, and mostly for myself, um, because I don't know very much about anything. Uh, can, can you give us like a, a quick sort of like a brief history of yeah. abortion in Canada specifically? For sure. So abortion was criminalized in 1869. Um, so it was part of the criminal code. And then about a hundred years later, I'm sure many people are famous or not famous. Many people remember the famous quote by the current prime minister's father when he was the justice minister 
and, you know, paraphrase the government has no business in the bedrooms of Canadians. Mm -hmm. And so that partially decriminalized um, abortion in 1969. Uh, And however, it really was only partial. Hospitals had the ability, if they wanted to, they could form therapeutic abortion committees. Uh, They need to have three doctors to sit on the committee if they chose to do that. And they would uh, evaluate every um, request for an abortion. And if they thought it was going to impact um, at that time, they were using the word woman, her health, um, and they used health could be physical health and or, you know, um, mental health, uh, then they could deem her to ha- be acceptable to have an abortion and a fourth separate physician had to provide the abortion. So pretty limited, not a lot of hospitals mm. formed these committees. And so that was sort of the basis of Dr. Morgan Teller providing abortion care publicly in community based settings, because there was no provision for that fought all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada when he was, you know, arrested and charged for providing this kind of health care. And in 1988, um, at that time, the Supreme Court might, uh, the Supreme Court determined that that clause that allowing to have sort of therapeutic abortion committees was unconstitutional. Um, so it struck it down. And then, you know, uh, a couple of years later, they did introduce a bill that would um, recriminalize abortion. It made it through the House of Commons. And hmm. if people follow politics, um, it, maybe people will be surprised to hear that it actually died in the Senate in a vote one by, by one majority of one, uh, sort of over the majority of one. And so it was defeated. And there's never been like a wholesale bill like that again. There have been some private member bills that have been introduced that could potentially um, start to chip away at abortion rights. And none of those have really ever made it um, to the, you know, past the second reading. So who are the folks that are are doing that? Who would be, you know, you said it hasn't made it that far. Nothing's made it that far privately. These these things have been I'm I'm just I don't totally know the lingo lingo. So private people are trying. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. A private member's bill is a member of parliament. Okay. introducing something that they personally are interested in. It's not that their entire party is endorsing something oh, it's I see. that's different. Yeah. Different members of parliament can introduce a private member bills. They have all tended to be from conservative parties, mm-hmm. uh, but they have, there have been several bills over the last you know, 20 ish years. That so, would, oh, sorry. I uh, you yeah, there. yeah. That would um, limit, uh, you know, the rights of people to access abortion care. Morgan Toller is a name that I hear like all the time when I'm l- listening in on subjects of abortion in Canada. Who who was that, and what what are they still around? What what's what's the their legacy? Yeah, yeah. so Dr. Henry Morgan Toller was a family practice physician. Um, he uh, was originally um, involved in. It came from you know Europe, from Poland, and and was Jewish and involved. The Holocaust and last family members in that sense came to Canada and was a physician. And he decided that he would give the the women who were his patients what they wanted. They were asking for abortion care, and he did it. And he did it quite publicly in uh, Montreal, where he was practicing at the time. And over the course of the period of the decade of the 1970s, he was um, arrested, tried, and acquitted three times by a jury of his peers. However, one of the, the last time um, the judge overruled the jury's um, verdict and he was found guilty of providing abortion care um, and he was imprisoned and he, I think he spent about 10 months in prison. He had a heart attack there and then was let out. And then after he was let out, um, 
the government said, like, we're not going to be, <laughs> we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to prosecute him anymore. Um, and so then he went to Toronto and with um, some other colleagues opened an abortion clinic there and were very public about what they were doing. And, uh, you know, that's his, his legacy is both around abortion care because we called the decision in 1988, like the Morgenthaler decision, because it was the Crown versus Dr. Morgenthaler. Um, but also, interestingly, I'll just sort of another fact is I, I, there was also some legacy around um, judges no longer being able to overturn rulings of a jury. So, huh. Now, okay, so 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 that's Canada, and he's passed away. He passed away about ten years ago. Okay, okay. So so um, when when looking at what's happening in the, in the United States, um, the you know a, a big uh, sort of I, I'm I'm guessing s- somewhat similar um, situation in the states is Roe versus Wade. Can you for for people who aren't familiar with what Roe versus Wade is, what that means? Can you can you give us a little bit of rundown on that? Yeah, so I'm just going to clarify. I'm, I'm not American, so I'm going to give a lot, way less detailed <laughs> response to that one. Um, but, you know, it's kind of similar thing. Somebody wanted to access abortion care in the United States at that point before the ni- 1973. It was illegal um, as sort of like overall. Uh, there were a few states that were allowing it, um, but overall it was pretty much illegal. And um, it got, you know, argued up to their Supreme Court. And um, the judges determined that it was in violation of their constitution. And I believe it has to do with the 14th Amendment um, and the right to privacy. Mm. So is it correct? Because I think people are getting a little like tied up around the idea that abortion, you know, is legal in Canada and illegal in, you know, parts of the states. But I don't think that's quite the way it works. That's right. So with the, with the road decision and some further decisions, they had determined that, you know, um, the state couldn't, states couldn't restrict abortion care up until viability, which many people sort of say more or less is 24 weeks. Um, and they couldn't place an undue burden. So we have seen in the United States, different states, uh, have, uh, introduced, um, and passed legislation that severely restricts access so things like waiting periods, mm-hmm. some states have a 24-hour waiting period. You have to see a physician one day and then see the exact same physician, physician at least 24 hours later to make sure that you've thought about your decision. Mm-hmm. And you know, we know that people think about those decisions before they go in for their appointments. Um, other things uh, that have been passed have been um, you know, parental notifications. So if someone's a minor, they might need their parents. Um, to approve, and then lots of other. Those are just sort of two examples. And then, of course, most famously, we've seen some bans, like in Texas, uh, when there's fetal uh, cardiac activity, they're underlying abortion. I mean, that's really just trying to test the the Constitution um, and Roe v. Wade, which we see right now is before the Supreme Court, and that was a 15 week ban. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like in terms of what's happening right now in in the U.S., um, what what is what is the what is the deal like? How how did we how did we end up where or how did they end up where they are now? And no. and in terms of that, like, it, are there possible are there possible ramifications that we could see here in Canada because of the decisions that are that are are being made in in the United States right now? Yeah. Um, so the first question, I mean, how they end up there, like, I don't know. I mean, it's absolutely 
um, mind boggling, I guess, perseverance, um, finances, organization by a very small but vocal minority that's against abortion, I guess, has made it so successful. Um, Because we do know both in Canada and the United States, the majority of people that we, you know, we see through polls are pro-choice. Yeah. This is a very small, loud, and well-funded group that's able to influence politicians. uh, And they've been really successful in the United States. Should we be worried in Canada? I actually actually have to say, like, I I think so. Because if you had asked me 10 years ago, would Roe v. Wade ever fall? I would have said, no, never. Right. So I just think we do definitely have to be diligent in Canada because what seemed to have been unimaginable in the United States looks like it might be something that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like (laughs) it makes me it makes me think about, you know, when Trump came into power and just 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 the the state of politics before that and then the state of politics after that and sort of what we what we sort of saw happen here in Canada, you know, even even regarding like just the way that people handled COVID and like these, these things that these things that um, these things that I feel like have like no fucking place in politics, like health and politics I know are, are so intertwined, but like it, it, it just boggles my mind that they're, that they are. And, and, and I, I, I have a hard time like grasping why and how that's even possible. Um, And you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's infuriating. I, I, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is really like a, this might be too, too broad of a question. I know that when it comes to these sorts of things, there's, there's so much nuance and, um, and it's, it's probably hard to say definitively, like what, what is the, what's, what's that the core of what's happening right now? But like, in your opinion, Jill, How much of this, how much of this really has to do with, how much of this has to do with religion versus how much it has to do with just straight up like political bullshit and, and like political power? I think, I mean, a lot of it has to do with misogyny, to be quite frankly honest. Like it's about controlling women's bodies and people who have viruses bodies, um, which we've seen has been something that, um, People who benefit from the patriarchy have wanted from a really, for a really long time. Mm. That's where I, you know, that that's where I see it coming from mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is control. And we know, like in these situations, that always the people who are um, disadvantaged in so many other um, elements of you know healthcare and and society, people who are racialized, um, people who have limited financial resources, people who are young, uh, people with disabilities, um, and often the LGBTQ plus communities are the people who are going to be most impacted um with what's happening and the rules are happening and the restrictions in the united states and the people with um you know more resources they're going to be able to access their abortions mm. it's going to be um the, the groups that are always um not always but very often um disproportionately impacted by by political and legal decisions who are going to be bearing the brunt of this I get the sense from some of the things that I'm listening to that the 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 Roe v. Wade, it, it almost it's like if that falls out from underneath us, it's really just a an open backward slide on LGBTQ um, plus rights and uh, trans people, and so 
you know, I I had to do some digging because I couldn't understand, like I, I'm sure a lot of folks have felt it's really hard sometimes to get a sense of what's going on from the internet because it mm-hmm. just seems like a lot of people yelling at each other. And I, you know, I, I have to, I have to understand, like, it didn't make sense to me that it could just be about controlling, um, um, the bodies of, of, of others. And so I went ahead and like the Daily's doing some great episodes. They, you know, they're talking to abortion care providers. They're talking, they're, they've done five or six episodes. And one of them, uh, I had to like, I double taked cause I, I didn't read the, the subject on it. And I, and it, she was talking to people who, uh, consider themselves, um, pro-life, which is, something I stumble over saying every time because I want to call them the anti-choice people, but pro-life and their reasons. And then, and, and, and it, it led down shore the obvious path that we, we kind of want to point the finger at like religion and religious people. Um, But I also know that there's quite a few people who identify as Christian and Jewish and like so on that do support choice. So while I'm weeding through these, these like voices of people saying why they believe that abortion is wrong, trying to get a sense of like, what do they actually, what do they, what's the average person think that they're supporting um, when they say they want to make abortion unthinkable in our lifetime? And it seems to come down to this thing this this when does life begin question and it to me it makes you know like an any cell any living human cell is alive uh, you know so we've got the egg and then we've got we've got the sperm and then some folks are saying that life begins at conception when the two meet up and then there's the whole the fetal cardiac um activity and then there's the 24 weeks and like, I think we all agree that, that like, you know, these people are speaking in, in really inflammatory terms, like calling it murder and mm. like being really graphic about, and, and I have to believe that that's what they truly believe is that it's a, it's a, it we're, that we're doing a really bad thing when we have an abortion. But then it, then listening to both, like to trying to listen to both sides only to only to get a sense of where, like, how can they possibly believe something that I completely disagree with? I, I have to do that as a as a human just to have any sort of like peace of mind. That seems to be, that seems to be the thing that people fundamentally like can't agree on is when life begins and is life at all costs, regardless of quality of life or any any kind of life. Um, how do they come out like in the wash against one another? I'm sorry. I'm just sort of like pouring out my, the contents of my brain here, but I saw some of this in the FAQ and the dispelling myths section of the NAF website. And my ears pricked up when Jeremy mentioned, you know, religion, there's a lot there. I just, it's not really a question, but I, I wonder if you can speak to any of that in the conversations that you've had to have, you know, on the street or with people about the subject. 
I guess one of the things I would like, a couple of things that have popped up when you said, I mean, I think also like that concept of, of pro-life. Um, I know a lot of people who provide abortion care and they consider themselves pro-life mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I think that really to be, a, in my opinion, anti-choice is a better um, representative of that group because um, they are wanting to restrict other people's choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's sort of one thing. And I also find it really interesting when we have these discussions and there's lots of topics like this, but we talk about different sides where again, and I know I'm biased, so I'll say that, but like, again, to me, it just doesn't feel like there's other sides because I fully respect someone's um, belief and their uh, ability to say that, you know, they firmly believe that life begins at conception and they can make their own choices around that. It's when they're trying to make other people's choices around their beliefs mm-hmm. where I, I feel like it's really challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess those are a couple of the comments that I would would have uh, around what you just said. And that's the strongest that's the strongest thing I've heard so far is like you don't get to make decisions about my medical care. You can believe you know what you want uh, and you don't have to have one, you know, but someone you love, may require one and are you going to stand in the way of them having the health care that they that they require for whatever reason well, and even be, yeah and even beyond that i mean i think i think that's a great point but else and also what we, another thing that we see is a lot of the, the groups that that they say they are really concerned about you know the issue like you said the issue of life and that their personal beliefs are that you know it begins at conception I just sort of often wonder, like, what? Well, then, what are they doing to to support people to have um, the families that they want? You know? Well, right. Are they I'm, advocating for you know affordable childcare? Yeah. I mean, mm. United States healthcare for everyone. I, uh, uh, you know, uh, living wages for people so that they have the financial means to raise their families. Um, information around contraception, access to contraception, those kind of things. I don't think we see that as much from those groups. And you know what? That's uh, someone said that to me yesterday, and I was like, "Well, you know, it's easy to get abortion in Nova Scotia," and and I had to be like, "Well, it depends on where you live," Absolutely. and Absolutely. you know, because we, you know, I'm not I'm not wealthy by any means. I live in the city, so I and I don't even know if I can get an abortion here in Halifax, like right in the city proper. Um, anymore. I know I had to look into it when I was a, a young person growing up on Prince Edward Island because it was the closest possible option. Um, and I've, you know, I've had an abortion and I, that, I, that took place in Toronto. And I know that even then it's like unmarked, you, you got to go, you know, for the safety of the, of the providers and the safety of those who need them. It's like, they're not necessarily, you don't see them, you don't see signage for it when you're walking down the street it it isn't the most obvious assistance available they did an incredible job and i'm i'm so grateful for the experience that i had there but you know if i lived rurally in nova scotia if i didn't have a supportive person in my life that could help me get to the city i might not even be able to like readily afford contraception and there are all kinds of reasons why, why that, that, you know, that sense of safety or, or comfort, even by the, the average person, you know, who's open, open-minded and, and believes in healthcare for others doesn't understand that it's actually not easy. It's just because it's available. It's not easy to obtain, mm. um, for a lot of the people, like we mentioned, 
um, who already have odds stacked against their, um, you know, success or ability to, to get the care that they need. Uh, to that point then, Brad, uh, you know, according to the, the NAF, um, what, what kinds of barriers exist in Canada right now for people who are seeking uh, an abortion? Yeah, so I think, as, as Brody said, if you're not in um, a, a large city in Canada, it can be really hard to know where to go to access abortion care. Um, we have seen things like medication abortion um, increase um, some access in some communities because medication abortion can be prescribed in a primary care setting. So a family doctor, a nurse practitioner, and some midwives are, are doing that. Um, however, it tends to mainly be the abortion clinics, whether they're in the community or within the hospital settings, that are the easiest to find. Um, some people who are providing medication abortion are, are concerned about, um, you know, the stigma and potentially safety concerns. So they might not be promoting uh, their, uh, that they're doing medication abortion as much. So it can really be difficult uh, to know where to go. So if you're in a smaller community, you might have to leave your home community. And all those costs associated with it um, are going to be bared by you unless you reach out to an organization like our organization as well as um, Action Canada. We have a small fund and it's funded through the donations of Canadians, um, but we use that to help people who need to travel to access abortion care or folks who are uninsured for a variety of reasons. Uh, so that's like a big um, worry for many people and not everybody knows about what supports are available to them. And a lot of people don't know where to go to ask and I think, Brady, you were saying early on about like wading through the internet can be really challenging. Not everybody um, has the ability to sort of decipher what's um, good and accurate information and what's sort of maybe uh, a little bit more questionable. Mm. So it can be hard for people to know exactly where to go. And not everybody has people in their lives that they're able to talk to about their abortion care. Or they don't feel like they're able to and they might want it to be something that's private. So that can also be another barrier and access issue if you don't know where to go for help and you don't have people in your life who can help direct you there. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The medical abortion... Um just practically speaking, uh, does it take longer? Like, is there, it's like, I seem to recall there being like two doses of medication. And I'm wondering if having that, having the prospect of having to do that on your own at home, I could understandably be very daunting, um, for folks, but also like, maybe because there's more watch there's more attention maybe it's there's more likely someone will find out as well because yeah you're at home sorry there's a fire truck going by um (laughs) (laughs) yes uh i think you know you're right not medication abortion isn't for everyone some people really would prefer to have um an in-clinic um abortion and other people really prefer to have one at home it's really a different you know person's perspective and their choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right though, with medication and abortion, it's something that you do have two sets of medication. The first one is taken. Um, and then the second one is 24 to 48 hours afterwards. So it is a more prolonged period than an in-clinic abortion. Mm. Uh, just, um, just kind of going back to the, the current state in the United States. And, and um, again, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not super, I haven't been following that much, and I'm I'm also not really that um, that up to snuff on on American politics. But um, I know that there, you know, uh, the the this is not this is not something. I, I could be wrong. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But this is this isn't something that the Democrats have like pushed forward. This is kind of out of their their power, I guess, in in some regards. Um, in terms of like Canadian politics and, and, you know, what, what the, what the scenario here is in Canada, um, who are the people in Canadian politics that have like the most to say about abortion and, and as, as just general citizens, like what are some things that we should be listening for or, or, or demanding or, or sort of being wary of? when it comes to um, abortion rights and, and abortion laws in, in Canada itself. Sorry, which parties was that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean like what, like it, in just thinking about how like we, you know, earlier you were saying how you, you, it was hard for you to imagine hearing um, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. like Roe versus Wade falling in the United States. And so like, what are some things that we we should be concerned about right now here in Canada that maybe looking out for or sort of listening for within our own political system that that could, you know, that could yeah. give us a red flag, um, seeing as how this this could potentially be be the case up up here in the north. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I had mentioned earlier on that some members of Parliament have introduced private member bills. Mm-hmm. Um, ARC, the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada keeps a great list on different uh, members of parliament's voting records related to that. So you can have a a sense of which either individuals or you might even see trends around parties that are um, more uh, 
favorable to restrictions to abortion care here in Canada. Uh, you know, I think we've seen over the last um, several years, both the New Democrat Party and the uh, Liberal Party, that federally both of those parties um, have been quite supportive of um, people's ability to access abortion care, making sure that we have other supports like um, affordable childcare, if people you know, want to continue carrying a pregnancy to term, looking at kind of the um, uh, patterns around funding for healthcare, both at the provincial, territorial, and federal levels. Those are really important things to look at and what kind of yeah policies we're missing from our, our governments um, that impact things that are really heavily gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we are coming up to time, but I, I just, I wanted to, I did want to ask about um, and shed some light on the harassment that's faced by mm-hmm. healthcare providers uh, mm-hmm. who provide abortions and, um, you know, listening to conversations of, of folks who wear, have, have made a practice of wearing bulletproof vests to work and who have received death threats and, um, and, you know, what, even just down in, in Texas, uh, earlier, I don't know if this was this year or the end of last year when it, it was like, you can sue any, anyone who mm-hmm. aids and abets an abortion. Like what, what, what's the climate like that here? And are we more, are we more polite, uh, in here in Canada or are your colleagues kind of experiencing this? Well, you know, we have we did have a slew of violence in Canada in the 1990s. Um, there were three different uh, people who provided abortion care in Canada that were shot. Oh um, fortunately, none of them um, were killed. Uh, and so that obviously was a, a big concern. And I know during that time, there was a lot of discussions around just what you talked about. Do people need to wear the best to work? What kind of safety mechanisms or measures do they need to put into place? Fortunately, um, we haven't really seen a lot of violence like we're seeing it in, in south of the border recently. Uh, but I still think it's just really important, uh, especially for people involved in abortion care, just to be diligent and just to be mindful that it's very, very rare in Canada and uncommon. But just you know, kind of trust your instincts it seems to be a good um, a good approach uh, because we see that the you know the border is quite fluid and. Um, the person who is believed to have shot the three people in Canada also shot some physicians in the United States and killed one of them and, and is in jail for that crime right now. Wow. Can folks yeah. from the U.S. come to Canada for abortions? Is that the is that like something that happens? Um, Interesting question. You know what actually happens is the exact opposite. So we talk about all the restrictions in abortion care in Canada. Um, however, it's pretty difficult to abort- access an abortion after 24 weeks in Canada. Okay. And um, our organization uh, is one of the groups that actually helps support people to travel to the United States. Okay. So some provinces, yeah, some provinces, health insurance will cover the procedure in the United States, but then it doesn't cover the costs of you know, travel um, and accommodation. So that's one of the things that um, we try to help folks with. And is that because there's some states that allow abortion beyond the 24 week mark? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Right. There's what? six, and there's six different um, facilities that I'm aware of in the United States that will take Canadian health insurance. So those are the ones that we work with most closely. Oh wow! Um, but interestingly, because oh sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say, interestingly, because you're in the Maritimes, I thought you'd, you'd potentially find it interesting that you can't get an abortion in the Maritimes after 16 weeks. Oh. So we often help people in 
that region, like sometimes they're only just barely over 16 weeks Mm -hmm. and we're helping them travel to other parts of Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's also quite common um, kinds of support that people need. In in terms of those states that allow that, what, what is the, what is the currently like in the U S the, the, the uh, latest term. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, like the latest, the latest term at at which the person can, um, can go through with an abortion. Um, So, Probably the most common or the most uh, well-known ones are like Washington, D.C., um, in Colorado, and uh, New Mexico. Those okay. are the places that we work with the most. They take Canadian health insurance. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I want to say thank you. I know you're, you must be, are, does this kind of activity <laughs> make your life busier? The stuff like what's happening in the United States? States? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yes. She's on a podcast yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know. Back-to-back interviews. You're in Ottawa. I assume you're speaking yeah. with the Prime Minister a little bit later today. <laughs> Jill, I uh, I want to say I want to say thank you. Thank you for for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us and to just to shed some light on on something that um that is you know, ongoing, ongoing, and, and extraordinarily important, and uh, and for uh, for giving me a little bit of education on something that I've been really really afraid to like s- stare at because of uh, just well, there's because a lot of, of hatred. The, yeah, yeah, it, and that's really hard to see. And and mm-hmm. it there's increasingly whether it's a, a abortion or Black Lives Matter or um, you know there's this like massive. Us versus them, and yeah. no like actual communication. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this has been this has been really um, really valuable for us. So so thank you for doing this. It really does mean a lot. And thanks for taking the time to actually have this on your podcast. I really appreciate. It. I think the more people are aware, um, just the better they are to make sure that they're um, be able to access the healthcare that they need, or people in their lives can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks again. Take care. Bye bye. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, how about that conversation? Yeah, bit of, a, bit of a heavy one. It was it was heavy. It was fast. It it you know I've been I, as I mentioned I've been listening to a lot of episodes of the Daily, which is fucking journalism, and I am not. And now, you know, the past day and a half, I've probably listened to six different episodes of podcasts on this subject and. Two of those episodes, um, I won't name the podcast because I don't want to give them any airtime, but I, I just before I say any more about this, I, the caveat is that I believe that no one has a right to tell you what to do with your body. I think abortion access should be more equitable. Okay, I'm saying all of that, and I hope the listeners know that. And... What I was trying to convey in that conversation is that I need to understand why, what people are thinking when they're on the other side. Not so that I could be swayed. No, no, no. I, I think that's a very fair. Okay, point of view. because I I shared the fact that I I listened to a couple of episodes of people who call themselves pro life, meaning anti-abortion. Yeah. Um, in their case. 
because I needed to know like what are what is the echo chamber that they're in? And mm. it didn't change my opinions at all, but it did give me some perspective on because they have to believe that they're helping. They have they must believe that they're doing something that is right and good yeah. by doing the work that they're doing. So I needed to know. And while it didn't change my opinion at all, it did give me a sense of what they think they're doing. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, we live in a time right now, especially with like cancel culture and yada, yada, whatever, where there's a, there's a population, there's a certain percentage of the population that doesn't believe in hearing out those views that don't align with theirs. Personally, I think it's bullshit. Personally, I think conversation with, with people who don't share your values or your views is highly important. Um, and those are the types of conversations that the reason they're valuable is because they, they, they can sway you, sway you in whatever, whatever fucking direction. But the hope is that it sways people in the direction that is right. The right direction here is pro-choice. <laughs> that's the right direction. And I know that there's people that believe that that's not correct and that's not true. Um, but objectively, that's wrong. Just like, just like racism. There's yeah. people that believe that different races are blacks or Hispanics or Jews are lesser than. That's wrong. Yeah. They believe that that's right. But the only way you're going to sway the minds of those people that actually fucking believe that shit isn't by silencing them, isn't by shutting them out and not allowing them to speak. It's by fucking having a conversation with them. So, you know, I, I think listening to both sides is, is there's nothing wrong with that. And there, it's fucking highly important. And, you know, Fuck me if we ever come to a point where that's not a- available to us. Yeah. Um, it, but this abortion shit is just, it's wild, you know? It's, it's, uh, yeah. And, it's and, so fucking dumb. And it's like, it's, it's so like, it, I, I like, I'm, I'm too dumb. I'm too fucking dumb to like, to speak, even, even talking to Jill there. Like, I, I, I just, I feel too dumb to talk about it. But it just, it makes me think about all these other things. Like, it makes me think about, you know, made yeah. medical assistance and death. Yeah. It makes me think about mask mandates and vaccines, mm-hmm. you know? And it's funny because I know that you've, you've got these fucking yahoos out there who think, well, yeah, no, abortion's bad. We shouldn't have abortion. But who are also out there holding up their signs going, government can't tell me to wear a fucking chin diaper. Yeah. And it's like, okay, okay, well, yeah, really? Hmm. Now, very funny that you I'd be really curious to see what that actually looks like in the overlap, because what you just said makes me feel the it makes the alarm bell of the us versus because when the pandemic started and vaccines and and also simultaneously like Black Lives Matter rolled in right on the heels of that, Mm. where it. I know I was, I was very much of the mindset and I knew there was probably something wrong with this mindset while I was having it, but it was like 
all the people who believe, you know, in the in all, all the people that support the uh, Black Lives Matter movement are the same people who support getting a vaccine are the same people who like will wear their mask. But it's no. it's not no, no. that cut and dried. Absolutely and not. There is overlap there, and 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 that's it's so perplexing. The it's why I turn on like this podcast of these pro life dudes um, because I I don't want to participate in the us versus them. You know, like my position is all of the good stuff, and all of the people who are against me are bad. Yeah. You know. Um, I got to tell you one thing that really fucking blew my mind. I didn't, I didn't know this about the pro and I really struggle with the term pro life, especially after talking with Jill, where she said, stop saying it then say anti-choice, anti-choice. Yeah. Yeah. Anti-abortion. Um, folks, is that anti, anti, yeah. Anti, uh, well, Reproductive say, rights. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say something else, but I already <laughs> But one thing that really blew my mind, so I already, you know, kind of spoke about how they, you know, they believe that human life begins at conception. It reminds me of um the whole I think is it is it Monty Python the Search for the Holy Grail with the song Every Sperm is Sacred? And it's like the Catholic family with like a bajillion yeah. kids and they yeah. sing about how which, you know, and by that, you know. And the point I was trying to make is like, well, a cell, an egg is life on its own and a sperm is life on its own. So do those people masturbate and like waste their like lively sperm? Like John Kellogg didn't. No, no. That's maybe he would have been against abortions 100 percent. Yeah. Um, but what so, you know, when they refer to a fetus, they refer to it as like a child. Right. Yeah. At no matter what stage of pregnancy. Yeah. Um, they also have a beef with, I can't wait to see your ears smoke come out of ears at the sun. They also believe that there's a problem with in vitro because if you're going to go through IVF, right? You're playing God. You give a certain number of your eggs, right? To freeze, or maybe it's only one or two, but usually there's two or three eggs, right? In that you, that you give to be fertilized, right? Way more than that. Way more than that, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, at least you to, hope. To, to improve your chances yeah. of, of having a baby, Three right? Three is low. So then Three that start. are viable is like, fuck. Right, yeah. I'm pretty sure, based on what I heard from Kyle and Taylor. So their perspective, the, the <clears throat> anti-abortion perspective, is that these are children suspended in time. Yeah, right. That are... Cool. Yeah. It, which <laughs> blows my mind. So I'm like, okay, you know because what, yeah. then... It's not even, it's not even, oh, they think it's wrong. It's like, it's so easy to see how things like Roe v. Wade being overturned and the backslide of, of, other, of, of, of same-sex marriage rights could, could lead to that, could lead to that, could lead to other, you know, okay, well, if abortion is not okay, then who's to say contraception can't be then challenged? Let's say that, Contraception hey, is no longer. There's some people out there that believe that. There are people out there that believe that. Yeah. And then, and then you're like, okay, so now we're fucking with, you know, uh, any, anyone, you know, who identifies as LGBTQ. Then we're then we're talking about people who, 
can't have children via like P in V uh, conception. Um, if that's, you know, the, the traditional way we think about getting that's pregnant. That's the medical term, yeah. Yeah, P and V. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, it just, that, when I when I heard that and and when I realized how like common of a feeling that is amongst the, that group of folks, I was like, oh, there's no end to this. Yep. There's no end to but, That's but, when I was like, oh, it is about control. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but the, like, to, to not that, to them. To that same point, though, like there, there are people that exist out there who simultaneously share the belief that life begins at conception. Yeah. And there is a spirit there. Right. But also Believe in hold the same, rights. yep, have the same belief in reproductive rights and allowing someone the choice to do with their body as they will. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, the, this, oh, fuck, man, what a stupid week this it has is- been for podcasting for me. Because yesterday, all I did was talk to fucking Britt Ray, who just wrote a book called Generation Dread, about the existential crisis of climate change and, yeah. and climate anxiety. And, um, it's, and then, and then now today this, and now I'm just, uh, honestly, I'm just <laughs> so fucking tired of humans. Like he, here's the problem, right? Here's, here's what the fucking problem is. Here's Patrons. why, here's, here's definitely why we fucking need abortion is because there's too many of us where there's too many humans. We have, we are, there's too many of us. We need a cull. We need some sort, we need some sort of, we need a fucking asteroid to just land in a random spot, wipe out at least 70% of the population, or we need to get the fuck off this planet and start spreading our resources to other places in the universe because there's too many of us on the planet. And when you get too many people together in one room, there's the, 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 the amount of fucking pricks just increases. And next thing you know, you got a riot and you know, there's just too many fucking ding dongs. Bill Burr says it best. We got to get rid of a bunch of us. So, you know, some who's willing say, to step up? Some would say that the, that the argument of there being too many people on the planet is a, is not true based on, and, and here's the thing. I do think I here. let me, let me say what I have to say. You say it. Yeah. There are, <clears throat> we need to f- deal with climate change. 100%. Oh yeah. People have tried to call the baby production wagon in some parts of the world. And to me, and to some people. But that's not the way to do it. That seems like, it seems like the argument that there are too many people yeah. is another way that the big fucking problems in the world have made it our little person problem. We need to learn how to live in a completely different way on this planet. A hundred percent. Yeah. The way that production works to support human life will not work for an like it it does it's not equitable for people on the planet but the planet itself if we could 
learn, drastically turn the ship around, learn how to live on the planet in a sustainable way, which is, by the way, not in our control, not in our individual's control. It's, it's got to start with the big fucking people and the systems yeah. and the corporations. Yeah. But the argument that there being too many people is just another way of footing the blame on people who are having babies. Right. And that, and I just want to say that because. That's not what I mean. I know that's not what you mean. And, and I do want to get rid of the assholes. And the, and the other, the argument is the people who don't believe in contraception who are having lots of babies probably are also that small minority number of people who are very loud and very organized and very well-funded. Yeah. And their pop, the population of those people continues to grow unproliferated because of they, they don't believe in abortion and contraception. So maybe we need more of other people raising babies. No, we just need... We do believe. We just need another planet. Well, we don't, we're we not going to, we just need another planet. Some of us are going to get another, planet. another planet. The rest of us put a bunch of us on probably it. are going to die. But then there'll be a small amount left over who have to rebuild everything that, that we have in a different way. Yeah. But that's what, that's the exciting part about that. There's this awesome um, <laughs> sci-fi show where there's like, we don't know what we're talking there's about. An earth, <laughs> I don't For, fucking know anything. No, we don't know anything. I we're dropped out of theater school. Shut the fuck up. If you don't like what I'm saying, then just. <laughs> Text my mom <laughs> and complain to her. Um, there's this great sci-fi show that uh, where there's like three different colonies. One's on the on the moon. There's a colony on Mars and a colony on Earth. Yeah. But all three colonies, like because they left and they've started a new, not a moon. Sorry, they they're they're uh, on a on a comet. I think. Anyway, um, because they left and they've they've colonized a different place. Each, each, each place becomes its own sort of like belief system. Okay. And so they're all, and so, you know, all humans, but you've got like the Martian humans and the earth humans and the, you know, whatever the cometer humans. And they all have very different views and values. And, and then, and then, and then it, then it becomes, um, you know, there's peace on those planets within the planet. Right. But then there's war between the planets. Yeah. 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 See, I, I'd, I'd, prefer, it I'd prefer that. <laughs> um, yeah. A, anyway, I, I, I am, I am a lot of that comes out in jest. I, I don't actually think that we need a giant call, but um, I guess if I had to fucking say that, uh, I, I did have to say that because. Um, some Anything are, you say, Canon will be used against you. Yeah. Some people are stupid. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a bummer that like, I'm just, I'm just, I think I'm just feeling, I'm feeling the. I'm feeling the doom. I'm feeling the doom from two heavy conversations in two days. And I guess that's just, that's the job I signed up for. So. Well, I think you're on to something about staying away from the news. I, I think there is something like, and I'll, and again, I'm not well read on this. I just pick up a, a like this vocabulary a little bit from people I spend time with, but the idea that like, we don't, we're not built to, know what's going on everywhere all the time yeah but we are living in the age of doom scrolling and that is and that is an everyday activity that a lot of us don't even realize that we're taking part in and it's having a fucking effect on our mental health uh let's lighten it up here 
This Let's is, talk about... Actually, you know what? Here's someone who didn't have an abortion. You want to see this? Yeah. I thought this was kind of cute. Okay, let's see it. Oh, yeah. The years that she was pregnant. 2000, 2001, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007 to 8, 2008 to 9, 2009 to 10, 2011 to 12. So wait, this person was pregnant for 12 years. The years that she was not pregnant between 2000 and 2012 was none. She was pregnant every year between 2000 and 2012. I believe she has 12 children. That's a lot of babies. She doesn't look that old. No, she, no. I mean, her first kid walked out. It could have been her brother. Yeah, she looks very young. Um, I it, when I watched that, I I had I wondered for a moment because I don't. That was just a TikTok that like came across my Instagram feed. Yeah. Um. So I don't know anything about this woman, but it made me wonder if maybe she had uh, some sort of autoimmune disorder. Because uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show. We've talked about it fucking at length on sick boy, but, um, when you are pregnant because of the way it, it has to, and it has to do with the placenta because the placenta is a foreign body in your body. Right. And so when the placenta forms, if you, I, I could be butchering this, but it's something to the degree of when the placenta forms, the, the body sees it as a foreign object because it is. And if you live with an autoimmune disorder, like Ehlers-Danlos oh, or something like that, yeah. your autoimmune issue um, for, for a lot of pregnant people, uh, like goes, goes into away. like full remission. Yeah. And so there's, there's like a swath of people out there that like perpetually get pregnant because it's just so much easier to like, you know, their MS just goes away yeah. because they're pregnant. And so when I saw that video, I was like, I wonder if that lady has, uh, had some sort of autoimmune disorder and was just like, this is great. I'll yeah. just keep pumping kids out, whatever. Yeah, that, that is... a lot is, of mouths uh, to feed, though. A lot of mouths to feed and... A lot I, of milk to give. And I assume Her if you're having that many raw. babies, you probably have fairly... I don't want to say... I, I say this in quotation, but like easy pregnancy or easy birth, you know? Like, I imagine well, if you have a one birth that's like super traumatic, you might be like, I'll never do that again. Yeah, I don't know about that. It's that whole thing, like, Christina P. just released her Netflix special and... She was talking about like, you know, you have a baby and you're like, never again. And then, you know, your baby says something cute. And then you're like, I want to have all the babies. Like, give, sign me up again. Like, I want to do it right away. Um, but like we spoke to uh, a person named Jen who had a precipitous birth for their first birth. And then their second birth, also a precipitous birth. Does it mean it's extra wet? Like no, it mean, no, it means the baby falls out in the toilet and they don't even realize that they're giving birth. Oh, but they do know they're pregnant. Jen knew she, that, that they were pregnant, but Jen gave, Jen's labor for the second baby, I think was, uh, was less than 10 minutes. Oh my literally, God. Literally, literally had a, had a, oh, had a little contract, like a, oh, contraction, sat on the toilet, pooped a baby out in the toilet. Wow. At home. Luckily lived right across the street from the IWBK. That's amazing. First birth, pretty much the same thing. Like add an extra 20 minutes. Like a bonk on the head. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. The first baby didn't come out in the toilet. Okay. Uh, I think it just like slipped out of them in bed. Slipped out. Like it just slips out. You, you know, you know, the have... sto- you know the stories about like, 
Like a woman goes into Walmart and then she yeah. sits on the toilet and then and all of a sudden baby, yep. has a baby. It's, We've heard that, those stories. That's like a, that's precipitous birth. Do you have, like, is your anatomy a particular way if you, if that happens so easily? I don't like know. your pelvis would, my, uh, must be like I, maybe. I don't think it's that, but it's, uh, I mean, there's something, there's something going on there that, that continuously offers up that sort of high risk birth category. Slippery babies just <laughs> slipping out. Um, here's something completely different. Uh, <laughs> this is an interesting article. Porn use linked to lower sexual performance for men, but higher sexual performance for women, the study says. So this is coming from SciPost.org. Uh, frequent pornography use is related to different sexual outcomes for young men and w- young women, according to new research published in the Journal of Psychology, Psychological Medicine. The longitudinal, longitudinal study... One of the largest of its kind, it's a big study, uh, indicates that a higher frequency of porn use is associated with a worse sex life among men, but the opposite appears to be the case for women. Uh, Quote, research investigating the impact of pornography on young men, women's and men's sexuality is basically divided into two categories. One, some scholars argue that porn use sets unattainable standards of sexual comparison and generates anxieties about one's sexual performance, whereas two, other scholars argue that porn can be a source of sexual inspiration and could actually be used to become a better sexual partner, uh, explains the study's author Nicholas Somet and Jacques Berent. Uh, Berent. Uh, a lecturer at the University of Lausanne and lecturer of the University of Geneva, respectively. Quote, disentangling these two opposing views is difficult, mainly because many of the existing studies use small sample sizes and cross-sectional designs, which impedes our ability to draw reliable conclusions from the literature. We therefore become interested in clarifying the association between porn use and sexual performance in men and women, by conducting a large-scale study that follows tens of thousands of participants over the course of three years. So the researchers conducted a three-wave longitudinal study that included yearly assessments of frequency of porn use, sexual self-competence, and sexual functioning. Quote, we collaborated with one of the most popular French YouTubers at the time of the research, And we were able to collect responses from more than 100,000 young men and women. 100,000, that's big. That's a lot. Uh, Sumet and Berent explained, uh, the first wave of the survey recruited 101,572 French-speaking men and women from five different countries, including 8,608 heterosexual couples. A total of 21,898 participants completed all three waves. The researchers found that more frequent porn use was associated with lower sexual performance for men, but higher sexual performance for women. Quote, we find that the more men watch porn, the more they report having doubts about their sexual performance, the more they report having sexual problems, examples uh, being in terms of sexual drive, erection, biological functioning. And for heterosexual couples, the more their female partner report being sexually dissatisfied. Um, We find the reverse trend for women. The more women watch porn, the higher their feelings of sexual competence, the lower their number of sexual problems. And for heterosexual couples, the more satisfied their male partner is on certain aspects of their sexuality. 
for example, on the quality of sexual exchanges. This was true even after the researchers controlled for variables such as age, education, nationality, sexual orientation, number of lifetime sexual partners, relationship status, length of the relationship, frequency of masturbation, frequency of sexual intercourse, knowledge about sexuality, and social desirability. Quote, importantly, these gender differences were also observed over time. Uh, an increase in porn use over time is associated with a reduction in sexual performance for men and an improvement for women, which increases the plausibility, but not the certainty, that a casual link exists between porn consumption and one's sexual performance. The finding that women who use pornography tend to have better sexual performance is in line with a previous study which examined 2,433 women from the U.S. and Hungary. But Sumet and Berent uh, cautioned that the effect should not be overstated. Quote, Despite the fact that the associations between porn use and sexual performance for both men and women were robust, the overall size of these associations were often modest, the researchers explained. This means that Contrary to certain popular beliefs, porn cannot be seen as the main factor to blame for sexual issues among men and cannot be considered as some sort of sexual panacea for women. The average age of the sample was 21 years and most of the participants identified as heterosexual. An important caveat is that our study was focused on the effect of heteronormative porn among heterosexual men and women. More studies are needed to investigate the effect of non-heteronormative porn on non-cisgender or non-heterosexual individuals. Uh, quote, we believe that overall our findings can be seen as revealing the irony that porn, which is a male-dominated industry that targets a male-dominated audience, is linked with the erosion of the quality of men's sex lives and the improvement of women's sex lives. The study, uh, Porn Use and Men's Porn use and men's and women's sexual performance evidence from a large longitudinal longitudinal sample. I love the fucking names of studies. They're they're so they're so bang on with exactly what they're studying. Yeah, they have to be. It would be fun if they were a little more fun, you know? Yeah. Like porn use. Does it help you doink? <laughs> Does it help you make fuck? I uh at the at the end of that article you can click on a link. Um, to the actual study, which I was kind of picking away at here while we were getting ready to record. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have, I, ha I have some th theories. Do you have any theories? I do. Okay. Do you, do you want to share? You share yours and then I'll, okay. uh, see, cause I feel like we probably have the same theory. Here's what jumps to mind immediately. Okay. So, and I'm just going to use the men and women words that they use in this article because we're talking about <coughs> hetero heteronormative yeah, 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 yeah. okay men uh for a long time okay is it here okay uh, take everything i'm about to Watch say, what you say. take everything i say with a grain of salt for a long time men are the only people who could get away with watching porn or were the p main porn watchers then we invited women into the bedroom to also watch porn and to tell them watching porn is okay. It's not sex ed, but it's okay to mm -hmm. like be aroused by porn. Porn is for you too. So then over time, now we're, we're watching porn more equally. Yep. And uh, men 
have more fragile egos. Yep. And their confidence is going down as they're watching porn, potentially with their with their female partners. Yep. And women are feeling more empowered by the let's say the type of porn that they're watching. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, I can do that. You know, like I'm like, I'm a, I could be a porn star. I mean, there is some of that too, but oh, I actually have so much control in sex because this is the body that, uh, okay, let me start again. Not start completely, but men are, or women are feeling empowered by the, the porn that they're watching with their partners because it's actually not that hard to be sexy if you have a body. You just, yeah. you're a sexy person. And yeah. and porn, hopefully, we're watching enough enough of a range of porn to see, you know, that in, in a lot of porn, it's like the penis is just there as kind of a, you know, a thing for the female performer to, used to perform with their yeah. it's their performance yeah. and then and then it makes sense that if both of those things are happening simultaneously and a man's declining confidence is declining and a woman's confidence is going up that the sex is not it's it it's going to be more satisfying for the uh woman porn watcher to go out into the world and have sex as a goddess um than it is for the man to who is sliding self consciousness um, to get out there and feel the same kind of yeah I had a similar theory I mean the the sentence that stuck out to me was uh, we find a reverse uh, so so the more women watch porn the higher their feelings of sexual competence the lower their number of sexual problems and for heterosexual couples and this is one that stuck out to me for heterosexual couples the more satisfied their male partner is on certain aspects of their sexuality. So, you know, um, probably okay. way more, probably way more nuanced than this, but men watching porn see this like stud coming out there with a big old fucking ridiculously John sized Holmes cock yeah. and, you know, guys lasting like an hour satisfying multiple women. <clears throat> and there's, there's like this, you know, heavy reaction from the female and, you know, squirting and, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. Yeah. Again, it's all performance, but they're seeing that and they're going, oh man, I, I, I don't think, I don't think I can do that. Mm-hmm. I don't have that capability because yeah. I'm like, I'm a three pump and dump kind of right. boy. Yeah. And I don't have that. I don't have that piece on me. That's going to like, wow. Fill the wow her factor. Up, you know, like that thing. <laughs> and so, so like if you're, if you're the guy watching porn and like that's getting in and then, so of course that's going to like, that's going to affect your, your self-confidence. It's going to affect maybe even your ability to get like fully erect or, um, or, you know, and then, and then it's just like a, a sort of spiral, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I, I came too fast. And now the next time you have sex, like that's in your head. And so you, you can't even get it up or you come faster, like whatever. I see that being the problem with the men, but in the study, that sentence there where for heterosexual couples, when the woman, when the woman is watching more porn, uh, the, the male, uh, the more satisfied the male partner is on certain aspects of their sexuality because the woman is watching the porn. And like what you said is like seeing, Oh, this is like, I'm seeing things that 
look really hot and I can do that. That's fucking easy. Like I can, I can make that face or I can do that position or I can you know, say those words, say those words or whatever. Yeah. Of course the guy's going to go, Whoa, that was really fun. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of new. Yeah. I, I feel like I only see that in porn. And yeah. so he's going, that, that felt great. That felt awesome. And the woman's feeling empowered because she's going, yeah, fucking, yeah. Just, I own I just, you. I just copied the thing that I saw I just, on, the, on the fucking I just finger. owned your cock. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> I, I mean, that that's how I, I think if I, I think if I was a part of the study, I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I'd fall into that category of the men that felt like porn sort of mm, left them less satisfied with sex because I, I don't use porn as, as sexual, um, education but i use i do use porn often for inspiration Mm -hmm. i'll see things in porn and i'll go hey that's a that that looked like a really fun sort of scenario and i can do that Mm -hmm. i can like i can set up something like that that would be really fun and of course do it and oftentimes it it's it it's very fun for the both of us right you know um so I, I, I kind of feel like that's sort of what's happening with the women. It's like seeing things and getting the inspiration and then taking that inspiration and turning it into empowered sort of performance. Right. Now, you know, there's the whole conversation about whether performance is good or bad in bed, but whatever. I think we, I think we landed squarely in the performance can be all right. I, yeah. I know you some know, people think can it's be fun. not, but. And I, we've said I, that. Yeah, yeah. I think in the past too, where yeah. we've been like, no, you nobody. I think we've actually said things like when you realize your partner's in some kind of performance, that's that's not as fun. It can take you out of it. Yeah. But as a performer, as two actors, everything's a performance, (laughs) you know, standing in line at the bank is a performance. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely can be. Yeah. Well, kind of a cool, I I like that. uh, I like that study. I like that. It was such a large study too. It's very fun to see these big, big, big studies uh, being done surrounding sex and it'd be fun to, it would be fun to like to get a study similar to that to like more non-heteronormative yeah. stuff yeah definitely i'm just looking at the 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 actual paper uh called porn use and men porn use and men and women's sexual performance evidence from a large longitudinal sample you can google that you can find it online yeah. um the studies that they reference too like that this was spanning 2015 to 2017 and other articles that they reference are like Everywhere from 1998 to 2019. Um, so, you know, somewhat. And to actually, there's one from 2021. So, you know, all of that taken into consideration when hearing what we're just shooting the shit about here right now. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, where are the best studies on on this found, do you think? Like, what what... Um, um, databases. If people wanted to read research papers based on like sexuality, where do you think they would find them? Does that come up in Sick Boy databases very often? Oh fucking no! Like the uh, um, what what are all the ones that come up? Anytime you like Google a, a longitudinal study, you get the like this one is on Cambridge you University. Google longitudinal study before? Well, yeah. So. Where can I find, where can I find uh, medical research papers? I mean, is it considered medical? PubMed. That's the one I'm thinking of. So PubMed is like, 
the database where you find uh, papers. Yeah, I'm too dumb to know. You that. didn't know that? No, I don't know. That shit. In all of your years of Sick Boy, you've never. I just use Google, man. No. Nah. I just use Reddit. Everything yeah. I get for Sick Boy for Feel Good Fridays, it's just all Reddit. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, the, the source. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if for anybody Reddit who wants to read medical papers, you can go to PubMed, look for. <gasps> and I definitely don't read the medical papers. I read the articles about it. Yeah. Because I'm too dumb to read an abstract. <laughs> You're, well, the abstract is just the opening paragraph of a medical article that oh, tells you whether you want to so read. so hard to understand so many no. words. I can't even pronounce longitudinal right. Oh, it's such a fun word. Longitudinal. Well, folks, uh, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. And, uh, and listen, you know, keep your eye out. And if this shit that's happening in the States starts creeping up here, we're fucking going to the, we're going to, we'll load into our trucks. We'll go to the Capitol and we'll honk our horns all day and night. And if you're someone who's more eloquent and, and passionate and opinionated than Jeremy and I, and you'd like us to sort of read your thoughts on it, you can send them oh, please. to us at termionpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah. We always want to hear from the people <clears throat> who know more than us. Yep. So fill us in. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can do that by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can leave a, a rating on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to watch our foreplay segments uh, or aftercare segments so that you could see this lovely uh, mother of 12, uh, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash turn me on and become a patron. And not only will you, you be supporting the lifeline of the podcast, but you'll also... Uh, be able to see and watch the uh, the host episodes and the aftercare segments and the foreplay segments. Uh, listen, Ottawa, we're coming to town. Yay! We're probably doing a live show June 8th. Put um, it in your calendar. Save the date. Save the date. June 8th. It's coming up. Uh, we're going to do a live show. Keep your eyes peeled and uh, tickets will be going up for that soon. Can't wait to see y'all and, uh, and excited to speak at COCA. Uh, so, you know, anyone out there listening who works at universities, we could be coming to a university near you. Yes, please. Uh, that is it for this week. Until next week. Don't touch yourself. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.